Hello, 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 everyone, and welcome to the Dr. Tamara Beckford Show. I am excited because I have here a wonderful lady doc of mine who we're going to talk about, all right, burnout, bringing yourself back from it and finding your authentic self, right? And we're also going to talk about entrepreneurship and moving forward with grace. Now, burnout is a very hot topic. And it's the reason why it's hot, because there's so many people who are experiencing burnout in all different industries. Today, we're going to talk about it from the industry that we know, which is healthcare, right? So great conversation. Bring your friends, bring anybody else who's on the edge of burnout, who are thinking like, oh my God, I can't do this. I don't even know if I want to. Bring them all in because it's going to be a wonderful topic today. Now, for those of you who are like, oh, my God, there goes Dr. Beck, but you know, I'm not going to be able to catch all of this. Have no fear. We will have this wonderful episode on our Your Caring Docs website, U-R-C-A-R-I-N-G. Click podcast, download that episode, and you'll get all of these wonderful things. If you're a doctor and you want to be on the show, send me an email at drbeckford at yourcaringdocs.com. We'll get you booked. Alrighty, so super excited. Let me bring my guest on. So this wonderful lady doc of mine and our wonderful guest for today is a graduate of the University of Wisconsin School of Medicine and Public Health. She did her residency in general surgery at UC Davis in California, and that's where she is right now. So we are talking to the co-founder and president and CMO of Vital Health, where they have happy physicians and healthy patients. She has over six years of experience in executive physician leadership and in developing processes and technology specifically for telemedicine. Today, we're going to talk about entrepreneurship. We're going to talk about creating a practice that reflects your authenticity and moving you forward from burnout and from abuse. Who am I talking about? I'm talking about the one and only Dr. Brittany Busey. I'm great. Thanks for having me, Dr. Beckford. It's really a pleasure to be here with you today. Thank you. Thank you. Let's say hi to some of the people in the chat. Okay, we have the wonderful Dr. Harvey Castro talking about AI. Great to be here. Thank you so much for joining us. And then we got Dr. Chigozi. Are you one of our doctors? If you are, welcome, welcome, welcome. Thank you so much. You said, I'm here. We're here too. Thank you guys for joining us. Alrighty, Dr. Brittany, you know, Burnout and abuse, Whew, such a big topic, right? Such big, and so many people have gone through it. Now, before we get deep into the deep into the dredges of that portion, let's bring it back as to what made you decide to get into medicine in the first place. Medicine takes away everybody's 20s and some of our early 30s, <laughs> but you're like, you know what? Yeah, I don't need my 20s. Let me do medicine. Tell me what made you decide to go into medicine. I mean, I, I still had a pretty good time in my 20s. <laughs> I'm going to say, like, I don't know about some other medical schools, but University yeah. of Wisconsin's and Madison, Wisconsin, you know, one of the top drinking towns in the United <laughs> <laughs> I feel bad for people who go to the bars there and see a bunch of drunk future doctors <laughs> on a Wednesday night. But, uh, you know, my medicine's just in my family. My mom's a nurse. Mm -hmm. um, 
she had books all around the house growing up on um, medical practice um, from a nursing standpoint. She's a psych nurse. So she had a lot of really cool and interesting old school psychology books that like oh, would wow. blow your mind if you read them today. And so <laughs> I'm reading those as like a 10 year old being like, oh my God, the brain is so weird. Yeah. <laughs> I really just wanted to help people. And mm -hmm. at first I, you know, looked around at different kinds of practices. And as I got older, like through high school, I had a lot of friends um, suffering with mental health disorders, depression, mm -hmm. suicidality, mm -hmm. addictions. Um, and as a high school student, you just feel really helpless. Oh, and yeah. I had always felt like my calling was towards medicine. And I started to really focus my energy towards um, psychiatry as well mm -hmm. as addiction medicine practice really going at like the student level and seeing if I could shadow doctors and really explore mm -hmm. the opportunities to, to do something. I think a lot of physicians that I've talked to personally have that a similar story of like helplessness as a yeah. child around some kind of medical condition, um, whether that was a parent or a sibling, mm -hmm. you know, and they just want to be able to do something mm -hmm. um, and that, you know, made them feel more powerful potentially in the future. Absolutely. I love it. I love it. It's so interesting, like hearing your calling towards medicine coming from watching some of your peers. You know, interestingly, a lot of people, when I ask this question, as you mentioned, sometimes it can be um, a child to a parent or maybe a, a sibling, but I've never had someone answer that question to the point that they said, a lot of my friends and a lot of the people I growing up with, I saw that they needed this help and I felt helpless towards them. So your perspective came from, you know, friendship, people my age, wow, there's so many of them that are suffering and I would love to help and I'm not in this position to, but I know that if I learn this particular skill, then I can be in the position to help. So that that's just, that's a wonderful calling at such an early age. Now, we talk about it now, you know, in medical school, we have all of our rotations. Yeah, we get medicine, we get peds, OB, general surgery, eh, right? <laughs> and then we also have our psychs and then emergency med. So we have all of the different rotations. You went into med school saying like, you know, you had like a pulling towards psychiatry, but you ended up specializing in general surgery. So tell us, how did you get to that route? Yeah. So like you said, it's all about the clinical rotations. And mm -hmm. up until that point, I had volunteered as the um, leader of a free psychiatric clinic for homeless individuals in medicine. Like I ran mm -hmm. that clinic for a uh, second year of my medical training and I scheduled psychiatry of the first rotation of yeah. my third year. Like I just couldn't wait to do psychiatry and like, I'm going to practice this. I'm going to be the best at it. Yeah. And I got there and I was like, well, this is just a lot of pill pushing. And like, I didn't really get to talk to anybody, even as a mm. student and a student has just like boatloads the most time <laughs> to, to do anything they want with their time. And like sitting down and talking to somebody like, Oh no, they go to, they go to therapy for that. Like you, you were going to shadow the doctor and the doctor is going to make sure they don't have any side effects from their prescriptions and, you know, see if it's working properly or make sure that, you know, 
step four of the DSM is make sure they don't have any other diseases. So like we'd get MRIs and CTs and make sure we ruled out tumors or anything else that could be causing their symptoms, mm -hmm. you know, and they did some procedural stuff at the rotation that I had, like uh, electroshock therapy and stuff like that. And mm -hmm. people were getting marginally better, <laughs> but mm -hmm. I was still so frustrated. Like, again, like a helplessness kicked in and I was like, but I'm not helping any of these people. And I don't think you are either. And the psychiatrist didn't look very happy. Oh. You know? And I was just like, I can't, if I had to do this for the rest of my life, mm -hmm. I would be miserable. Mm -hmm. And so that was how, like having that as my first experience, that's kind of how I went through the rest of my third and then fourth year was if I had to do this for the rest of my life, would I be miserable or could I find a way to make this work? So I was actually dreading my experience in general surgery because every time I saw blood, I passed out, hit the floor. Like, oh no, I, really? I saw somebody getting dialysis one time. I was gone. Oh. <laughs> in the ER, gone. I was like, oh, this is going to be horrible. I spent the first four whole days of that rotation following the intern around because the intern never went to the OR. Right. He was like, you know, there's more interesting things to do than watch me do paperwork all day. <laughs> You're like, oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah. And so she got a call to go to a hernia operation. So she's just stoked, right? Because she's like, I haven't seen the inside of the OR yet. And I can't wait to go. And I'm like, oh my God, she's going to get there. And so I get there and I, you know, get scrubbed in and I'm just like sweating and shaking. And they put me next to where the surgeon's going to be operating. And I see this blue world right like all you yeah. can see is blue drapes everywhere and there's this tiny little square uh -huh. and underneath that is the patient's skin but there's no patient anywhere in sight right there's, there's no person here there is yeah. not from your it's patient. like you're zoned in yeah so the surgeon starts operating and all you see is this little neat little zone of operation where the surgery is happening and there was a hernia there and he fixed it he put it in the mesh and sutured it up and the resident let me help. And when we were done, the hernia was gone. I was like, oh my God, this is great. You're like, like it's great. I just fix something. <laughs> like this is perfect. And the patient goes home and you probably never see them again. Exactly. This is just what I needed at the time, right? Like I yes. just couldn't deal with like that helplessness and I wanted to fix problems. Mm -hmm. had that satisfaction of, of doing something at the end of my day, because then I felt like I could go to work, I could do things and I could go home at the end of the day, having signed off on all of the things yes. that I needed to check, do. Check, 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 completed. Yeah. Nothing left at the end of the day. I can shut my brain down. Mm. And then I went into residency with that mentality of like, mm -hmm. I'm going to do this. This is my work. Work and life are separate. And that's how I wanted it. Well, that's not how my residency program wanted it. <laughs> like, <laughs> they wanted you to be all surgeon all the time. All like, the time. No other life. Don't talk about your life. Don't have a life. Like you are all surgery all the time. We have our heroes up on our walls and our lockers, just like we did. As <laughs> they're all it's like you're walking surgeons. through the hall of fame. Yeah. <laughs> And I had no idea who any of these famous surgeons were. Like I just stuck out like a sore thumb in the surgery program because I did not have the same reverence for the profession <laughs> that everyone else did. To me, it was just a job. Like at the right. end of the day, I want to go like, home with my life. Yeah. And I just, I, I just wanted to be, right? Mm -hmm. Like how many of us just want to be ourselves? Yes. 
And that was the last thing that my surgery program wanted was for me to be me. Like mm. they just needed a, a worker who would yeah. work and do that all the time, 24 oh, seven. So, so I just so like fit in. Mm, so that was the result. That's what I was going to ask. Like, mm -hmm. how did that affect you in the end? Yeah. I mean, for me, it was, it was really difficult. I mean, I started off great. I, I love people. I like making friends. Mm -hmm. Um, but at the end of the day, the lack of like belongingness really started to like creep in on me to the mm -hmm. point of like, you know, certain other residents would single me out for like verbal abuse or taunting. People would make comments about my personal life, inappropriate sexual comments about me constantly. Mm -hmm. And I just like could not separate myself from it. It felt like I was in middle school again where I had a bully who would torment me constantly with like mm -hmm. sexual related comments. And I just like couldn't understand like how that could be happening in a professional environment. Mm -hmm. So I took some time off. Um, I took a research year after my third year. Oh, and wow. So this is three years of going through this. Yeah. So three like years. Three, of this, years it, three years is not a short period yeah. of time. And during my residency, during my research year, I was actually diagnosed with bilateral retinal detachment. Mm. So it was like this message from the universe, from God. It was just like, hey, like, I'm going to give you this. Like, it sucks. Like, this doctor's going to tell you you're going to be blind. You're going to have a total breakdown. Oh, wow. But, like, this is a temporary setback, right? And in mm -hmm. the end, what I really was left with was vision, right? Like, I could see the vision of the rest wow. of my life. How profound. Yeah. And I just said, like, this is not okay anymore. Like, I, I have to find out what else I can do in medicine because like all I ever wanted was like you said, to help my peers mm -hmm. and I see myself suffering and I knew my suffering wasn't alone, right? Like I, I didn't mm -hmm. feel like I was alone in this. I always have this profound sense of knowing other people around me are suffering or that they've suffered in the same place. Like when You're I was like an in the hospital, when he was a newborn, I'm sitting in this pediatric unit mm -hmm. and I'm watching him in this little bassinet getting his light treatment. And my thought as I sit there on the couch is I'm not the only mother who has cried on this couch. Mm -mm. Like There was this just profound sense of all the other parents who had sat there and like felt helpless or who were sitting there in the rooms surrounding me. And like mm -hmm. just this feeling like a, but it was more like peaceful of like, we're here in this, you know, and this feeling is temporary, but it surrounds all of us in, in like a, a love. Right. Mm -hmm. And that was the grace, right. That was coming in through that. Mm -hmm. When I went through all of these things, knowing that I wasn't alone, knowing that I could accept what was happening without malice, without resentment towards those people, like that this was a medical condition that actually had nothing to do with them, mm -hmm. but was a way for me to acknowledge that it wasn't necessary for me to keep suffering. Absolutely. Like I could say enough is enough. I can step down from this. I can, you know, rise above it. I always think of like the Destiny's Child song, Survivor. Mm -hmm. where like I'm better than that. Yes. <laughs> like, yes. I'm better than that. Yes. Then, you know, I'm not going to go out and slam you guys. I'm not going to go out 
and talk about this. And I didn't for years even mm -hmm. mention what had happened to me, but mm -hmm. it, that was my piece, right? Like mm -hmm. my peace of mind, me moving forward with that was my your healing exactly. at that what you needed at that point. Yeah. Because you needed to you needed that strength in order to be the Dr. Busey that we have now mm -hmm. who can be the strength for others, still helping your peers in that respect. What I think is so fascinating about the um journey that you just mentioned right now is how you got clarity from a period of your life that medically could have taken away all of your vision. Mm -hmm. But that's where the clarity came in. So the shows that the clarity that one needs in life does not always have to be what you are seeing or what you can see for yourself right now. The clarity is way beyond that. Mm -hmm. The vision is way beyond that. You know, it's like that story of the guy that um, came out from surgery and he went into the room and the roommate, he's asking the roommate to describe what's outside and the roommate's describing this window and these beautiful birds and the sun and all this stuff. And then once the person who finishes, you know, healing from his surgery realizes that that roommate was actually blind, mm. but he was just describing this beautiful vision. Yeah. So, you know, the vision that you have, it's, it's deeper than what you can physically see. So yeah. that's just, just so powerful. So now, you know, you're in this process, you're now healing from this process. Where does vital health come in? Yeah. Like, when did it come in during this time? Mm -hmm. so it definitely has been in the making since mm -hmm. that time. Like you said, like I'm, I'm very in tune with what's happening um, in the, the greater experience, I think. And for me, I went from that residency program to working in an urgent care. So I went through mm -hmm. this experience of coming out of residency halfway through, not board eligible, can't get board certified, can't be hired mm -hmm. by most um, institutions, right? And so mm -hmm. like, looking back, I'm like, oh, well, that was a blessing. Like, who wants to be employed as a doctor <laughs> anyway? But at the time, like, I was like, oh, crap, what do I do? Mm -hmm. I went to work in an urgent care thinking, like, I need to do something now because I got all these bills to pay. Yeah. And I worked there for four years, um, really gave me a perspective on the practice of retail medicine, which mm -hmm. was not positive, right? People would pay their money and they would demand treatments of you. And if you didn't do it, they'd go slam you on Yelp. Yeah. <laughs> You know, COO of the urgent care would be like, did you see our recent Yelp reviews? And I'm like, <laughs> like, I'm a doctor. They paid for my expert opinion, not for a prescription for a Z-Pack. Yes. Know, not how this works. I'm like, go ahead, just put a vending machine in the waiting room if that's really what you guys want. Like people can put their finger in it and it'll dispense a Z-Pack and some oxycodone and you'll have five-star reviews on Yelp. Like if that, yeah, oh, like that's not medicine. reality. Like this yeah. is like the reality where people are starting telehealth companies as mm -hmm. vending machines mm. for medication. And I'm like, how must the doctors feel in that situation? Because I constantly felt 
Like no one respected my expertise. Like I went mm-hmm. from being a surgeon who would walk into a room and be like, I'm going to cut your organs out now. And the person would be like, yeah, cool. Where do I start? <laughs> to like people swearing at me, slamming the door, asking me where I trained, how old am I? Mm-hmm. What are my qualifications? And I was like, I don't have to defend myself to you people. Mm-hmm. You know? And I said, the problem here is a deterioration of the relationship. That should be happening between physicians and their patients. Like turn it into a retail situation. Like I'm just a face now. I worked at McDonald's when I was a teenager. I Mm. felt like the person at McDonald's, right? Like Mm. you're just the face of the transaction and they're going to yell at you. I've had people throw things at me across the counter when I was a teenager. You know, I felt like I was in that situation again. Like people yelling, slamming doors in front of their kids, like throwing fits. Mm. Grown adults, right? They felt like this was a transaction rather than a relationship because they were going to leave and never see me again. They were going to go to the other urgent care down the street because they didn't like the service that they got, right? And I was like, oh my god, this is so terrible for physicians, like for their emotional state, Mm -hmm. for their autonomy, for their self respect, for their dignity, for their self worth. Like all those things go in the toilet. Yeah. When you're treated like just a piece of a transaction. And I think so often we're able to numb ourselves to that, to that volume, mm-hmm. to that feeling in the pit of our stomachs that's just like, this isn't okay. Like, how are people treating me like this? And you can do it to get through the day, but that just keeps like eating at you and rotting you away from the inside out until you experience the quote unquote burnout. Yes. <laughs> Now it's really similar to like Gabor Made's book when the body says no, mm-hmm. right? You're eating away. You're putting this rot in your body over and over again. You're hoping the body can hold it, but you're asking the body to hold something that was meant for the spirit, that was meant for your emotional state, that was meant for the greater mm-hmm. place. And the body is just not meant for that. It's so you get like on. autoimmune disease, heart disease, cancer, and then, you know, other diseases of the mind, mental health disorders, depression, suicide, because we're rotting physically on the mm-hmm. inside through these experiences. So where yeah. vital health came into play was after working in urgent care, working in telehealth, being devalued, being degraded, you know, all of these times and just basically told I was no better than a AI who can <laughs> spit diagnoses out to people and then vend them some kind of prescription. I said, you know what? Independent physicians who have relationships with patients don't expect patients to treat them this way, mm-hmm. right? Like their patients are paying them, you know, whether it's DPC, if it's a membership fee, um, they're, you know, accepting cash pay or even using their insurance. They Mm -hmm. have seen that doctor multiple times over their lifetime. They've invested in that relationship with that physician. You don't go up to your best friend and start like cussing at them and saying like, how dare you not show up for, you know, this important game of tennis that we had together, right? (laughs) I'm like, hey, why didn't why you show up? Show up? What's with mm-hmm. you? you know? And that's how people act in relationship to each other. So I feel like the cure for physicians' burnout is to be able to come into a practice, into relationship with their patients again. Mm-hmm. How do make that more simple, less expensive, you know, take some of the risk out of it. 
we do that by working together, by collaborating and by forming cooperative entities. Mm-hmm. So we want to be able to compete in a very real situation where Amazon is undervaluing, you know, primary care down to $9 a month. Like doctors are like, I can't charge $9 a month. I need a panel of 10,000 patients, you know, to support yeah. my practice. Like, how is that possible for me? Like you don't have to charge nine dollars a month, first of all, even in a cooperative. Like we can we can do a lot better than that. <laughs> you can also work together, right? To take advantage of economies of scale for mm-hmm. practice insurance, for purchasing, for space, you know, all of those things. And so much of what we do can be done digitally, and so much of what we do can be delegated to other mm-hmm. people. So you're truly practicing at the top of your license that you're you're the one fostering the relationships, mm-hmm. but then you're trusting the individuals that you have hired or contracted with through Vital Health to be your right hand on a day-to-day basis with the patients. Mm-hmm. So that's really what we've seen is that we have doctors in private practice who are practicing every day, you know, at the top of their license, and then able to work with healthcare coaches who are monitoring patient vital signs and giving patients advice in real time or supporting them through grief or helping them with the stress of taking care of their ailing loved ones. Like all of that stuff is done at a human level, but also with digital health tools that help us expand our reach. So there is a possibility for doctors to have this really thriving practice, both Mm -hmm. financially, emotionally, spiritually, and have everything taken care of for them. So they're just making the really important decisions, like how many patients do I want? How much time do I want to spend? What is my authentic practice look like? As in, where is my niche? Am I Mm -hmm. more lifestyle medicine doctor? Um, Do I want to really focus in on one particular rare disease that is my passion, you know, mm. where do I want to direct my energy? I work with a doctor whose music is her calling, right? Like mm-hmm. she's amazing and she wants to help people with pain. And she was a pain medicine proceduralist for a long time, but she said music can be more powerful than these subdural injections I was giving. So that's what I want. That's my authentic practice. And I said, great, let me help you. Like, let's support you. Let's get your voice out there because there's nothing wrong with that. Like you just mm-hmm trained a certain way doesn't mean that's the way you're going to practice for the rest of your career. So that's what I does in a nutshell. We give the technology processes and services as well as the peer support Mm -hmm. and personnel support that every physician would need if they were to launch their independent practice. And we don't have it. You tell me about it. I will find it. (laughs) (laughs) Happen for you because uh, that is what I believe will help physicians and also create healthier patients, right? What patients need is somebody who cares about them. Mm-hmm. That's one comment we hear from our patients is like, wow, like you show up for me. Like I'm not used to somebody calling and checking in on me or I'm not used to someone caring about my health. So if patients don't think anyone else cares about their health. Why mm. should they their self-worth is oftentimes just as bad as ours, if not worse. Right. Show up for yourself and then you show up for them. They're able to make better decisions in relationship to their health. They can Mm -hmm. show up healthier. They can show up better in their day-to-day life. And when your cup is overflowing, you spill onto everyone else around you. So it's just an awesome domino effect of 
healthy, happy physicians, healthy, happy patients, healthy, happy communities. And I know in 10 years, like this is going to make such a huge difference in the practice of medicine. People will be like, why weren't we doing this sooner? Why didn't we listen to that? (laughs) (laughs) Amazon, like we need vital health. Oh, I love it. You know, as I'm listening to what um, you and your team have created, you've really created, exactly, that's the word, you've created a team in healthcare where the onus is not just on one person to to deliver the excellent care to the patient, especially since one person has 24 hours and part of their 24 hours exists to be a physician, but the other part of their 24 hours exists for them to be a person. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and yeah. it's impossible for you to dedicate all 24 to just one part or all 24 to the other and to be able to have that balance, right? If that's your career, then you would need to work. If you're not doing that for your career, then you're not, you know, having that career. That's just how it is. So now, you have developed an entity where you have physicians who, as you said, they're um, working at the top of their field, their game. They're doing what it is that they want to do, and they can decide what that is. If their decision making exists to say, like, I want to be able to do this in this space, like you said, um, you know, I'm a rheumatologist and I'm telling you, RA patients are my jam. I want to zone in on RA patients to be able to do that. But also recognizing that patients who have RA or rheumatoid arthritis, there are other things that goes on in their life and they'll need other ancillary service and support. And you're saying that with vital health, the physician can zone in on that treatment portion and be able to say, hey, I recognize that this other thing is happening in your life. Here are some resources that we can also provide for you to help with these additional things that happens as a result of you having RA. Yes, you know, this week you might be able to feel this way. Do you need some emotional support? Boom here we have that available for you all because you're a part of this wonderful um practice that has access to deliver these additional care right so at vital health we also say a lot physicians independent but not alone yeah i think so many people like you said they're thinking like if i go into private practice now the patients are going to want to contact me 24 7. Mm. i'm their doctor all the time now who am i right like I am still me, I'm still Brittany, but now my patients want this access because they were used to having so much access before. Mm-hmm. And now in order to keep them and keep them happy and achieve this customer service, like I'm going to have to be there 24 seven because I can't necessarily afford like a 24 hour nurse call line or, mm-hmm. you know, an ancillary practitioner who can also take calls for me. Like I'm going to have to hire an NP or PA to help me with urgent cases. Like that's not necessary for you personally, unless that's really what you want to do because you're like, Mm -hmm. well, I want a full scale business. I'm going to run it all myself. If you can do that and maintain your level of like clarity, your level of sanity, your level of commitment to the other relationships in your life, wonderful like i'll empower you to do that all day but for the majority of us like 
employment looks so enticing because we hope our hope at the end of the day is this is just my job. That's not mm. the experience I got. It's not the experience I had. I don't think it's the experience most physicians have. Mm -hmm. um, and that that just a job also strips you of so many important things mm. like your autonomy and your ability to make the right decisions for the safety and health of the patients who have entrusted you with their care. Mm -hmm. So when you practice at Vital Health, you get that ancillary support that you need. So you don't have to be Dr. Beckford 24-7. You get to go be Tamara, you mm -hmm. know, and you get to have that life however often you want. You set the schedule. You tell me how many patients you're going to have on your panel. And then it's up to me to find ways to make that financially, you know, sustainable for you mm -hmm. as a physician. Like someone asked me the other day on my LinkedIn, like, oh yeah, how are you going to make primary care profitable? I said, I don't need to make it profitable into billions of dollars. Like <laughs> do I, Dr. Bussey, need billions of dollars? No. <laughs> as an independent physician, I need to cover my costs. I need mm -hmm. enough to live off of. And like, yes, it is still possible for me to pay off all my debts, run a sustainable practice and be a millionaire because I deserve it. I worked for it. You know, I know Dr. Uh, Una talks about this all the time yeah. too. You can mm -hmm. have seven, eight figure business and that's profitable, right? Yes. Like, you don't have to be making billions and trillions of dollars. So when you look at the profit of primary care, mm -hmm. in the millions or even tens of millions, that's a hundred percent doable. Absolutely. in your lifetime, right? Like you don't have to feel like I need billions of dollars. To <laughs> I need a million followers on my LinkedIn and on my Instagram. Like, no, you need a panel of a thousand patients who are dedicated to you for their care. You need mm -hmm. low cost access to the facilities and to the, you know, equipment or whatever else it is that you need. Mm -hmm. and you need that mental, emotional support and you need a network of your peers. Like that's all completely possible within the realm of independent practice. Absolutely. And just because we haven't seen it yet, right? Like that's the vision, that's the clarity. Yeah. We can look back, like I said, in 10 years from now, like I look back, I was 29 years old when I had my surgery. It was right before I turned 30. I just turned 40 a couple months ago. Like looking back 10 years, I'm nowhere near the person that I was. I'd not, you know, mm -hmm. in any of the circles that I used to go in. I don't have the same idea of how to practice medicine or the best thing for me as an individual or for the collective or for the community because I've learned so much. Mm -hmm. I've learned we can move forward, we can do better for those around us. So I said, 10 years, I'm gonna look back at this time where we're just building our cooperative, building our community. I say like, that was worth it. Like that was the turning point. Like yes. people right now only see all the darkness of like 70% burnout rate, a deficit of 120,000 physicians in 10 years. Oh my God, how are we gonna rescue primary care? I said, I'm not worried about that in 10 years. Yeah. Primary care will be rescued. It'll be rescued by the physicians who practice it. Mm -hmm. Not by Amazon or corporations. I know I'm ragging on Amazon. Don't mean to. Sorry, Jeff Bezos. If you're listening, <laughs> <laughs> you can't rescue primary care that way. You know, it has yes. to be done by the people who understand it, who experience it on mm -hmm. that very human level Absolutely. of an interaction between person to person. Like, I see you, you see me. We can be together in this suffering and we can make it better. 
I love it. I love it. And you're right in 10 years. And that's the vision, right? So where I am now in um, even like with part of what I'm doing, like we said, in training and even in part of like, you know, the business school and so on. We every 90 days we've up leveled ourselves mm -hmm. and every 90 days you're not the person that you were 90 days ago. So even your decisions, your decisions to see and to be able to cast your vision and work towards the vision. Yes, it's scary because it appears dark, but mm -hmm. you recognize with your constant developing and with you constantly investing in yourself and working towards that vision you'll be able to solve that problem by the time you get there because you are trying to solve that problem from where you are right now, which you're not going to be the same person. Right. <laughs> it's a matter That's of fact. Said, like, about the dark too. It's like, as you build these things and you move a step forward, you illuminate more of the darkness, Absolutely. right? Like I've run yeah. so often at 5 a.m. The sun is not up. I've got this mm -hmm. like running light and I put it on my belt. Mm -hmm. right? I can only see a couple feet in front of me. Mm-hmm but I keep going. And, Absolutely. you know, then I see a few feet in front of that. Like there is fear in that mm -hmm. because there could be, you know, a wild animal on my pathway <laughs> or a homeless person is probably more likely. Um, and like something dangerous could come upon me, come out of the darkness. Mm -hmm. right? And so there's that fear in that, but I don't stop running and say like, okay, that's it. I'm going to go find a, you know, a well-lit, well-known area and just, you know, run there. Mm -hmm. And the area is known to me, but in the dark, it's still very frightening. Right. And that happens a lot, I think, to doctors in medicine is that they think about medicine as a whole. They know. They know how to practice. They know how to take care of patients. Yeah. But they I don't know the business aspect of it. That's complex. Mm -hmm. In the dark, it's scary. But you can learn each piece a little bit at a time. Yes. And you can look for resources to support you mm -hmm. and like join together and collaborate with people who have already been there, you know, yeah. and like I appreciate so much what, you know, people like Dr. Un are doing with EntreMD Business School is bringing other doctors in there and, and helping you up level together. We're always better mm -hmm. together. We're always better in collaboration. So when you find, when, when I say we have all this stuff at Vital Health, I don't create all of it, right? Mm -hmm. I partner with people who are already doing amazing things. Mm -hmm. And okay, you have this amazing, you know, coaching practice, like with Dr. Landano and physician coach support. Like, mm -hmm. If my physicians need help and they're struggling, like I can send them there for coaching. Absolutely. You know, awesome educators like Dr. Sharisa Sandro, who want to educate people on how to create telehealth practices. And like, yeah, I could do that, but I don't need to. She's already done it. She's already created the outlines for that. And mm -hmm. we can work together and we can support each other's independence. So Absolutely. not only are independent physicians not alone, but physician entrepreneurs, like I welcome other physician entrepreneurs into my circle. Mm -hmm. Even if it looks like on the surface, we may do something similar. We have different strengths and different weaknesses. Absolutely. Your weaknesses are the easiest area to improve, right? Mm -hmm. And biggest up level you mm -hmm. can get on your weaknesses is to tap into someone else's strength strength absolutely yeah, really quickly you've up leveled it <laughs> yeah okay you have this strength i could have worked for months improving incrementally on my weakness but now i tap into your strength we hold each other up and we both up level together 
that's what we need more of in medicine, more collaboration and less competition. We can't just Mm. keep shutting each other out because we think like, oh, they're they're honing in on my business. Like, yeah, no attitude says there's more than enough for everyone. And we only get more of the pie when we do it together. So I like to embrace that abundance in my, you know, personal relationships and in my professional relationships. Mm -hmm. If someone comes to me to work together, I approach them. I always look at it from a win-win situation, not to take away from what you do, but to up-level you and myself together. Absolutely. And it, it makes great sense. It makes great not just business sense, but also common sense. Because mm-hmm. if we really look at each other's um, strengths, and as you mentioned, in each individual's weaknesses, you can put in three, four, five months trying to improve your weakness and be able to improve it by maybe 15%. But it's still going to take you an extraordinary large amount of time in order to even get to that 15%. Mm-hmm. You partner with someone where that's their strength. Immediately, you've tapped into their network, their strength, and whatever um, project that you might have had goes up by probably 75% just like that versus mm-hmm. you pulling away from your strength in and now instead of improving upon your strength, you're taking away from that to try to improve by the most 15% on your weakness. Mm-hmm. So partnering together, collaborating, it benefits both parties. Your strength someone else, you are someone else's strength. And that's the part that you have to also remember. Because a lot of times, because we've been indoctrinated to work, especially in medicine, we've been indoctrinated to think about what is your weakness? What is your weakness? What is your weakness? But we also have to flip the script and say, what is my strength? What is my strength? And for those who are watching, those who are listening, when was the last time you asked yourself, what is my strength? You know, and even wrote it down that I am really good at. This is where my strength lies. I bet you if I asked you what is your weakness, you'll be able to give me five things in 33 seconds. <laughs> oh, yeah. You watch your strength, then you start to shy away. Well, yeah. and then we start getting there. I'm okay at this. And, right. you know, I can dabble here and there. No, you know your strength. And, you know, so we need to really use that strength and collaborate with others who are looking for that strength. And that's the other thing about entrepreneurship, right? It's we're solving problems. So you have the solution to someone else and someone else has the solution to yours. And putting it together, that's exponentially improving the world that we live in, the the um, circumstances that we find ourselves at this particular point in time. So I love, I love, love, love what you're doing. It's hard to show up with strength at the table, right? Because if you don't, if I go to my partner and I'm like, oh, will you you please work with me? Like, I know I'm just this tiny company, like, you know, but I, I can help what, what is that other person going to think? Like, oh, I don't know if I want to work with that person. Like, mm-hmm. they they, they're doubting themselves. Power is like, and I mm-hmm. need powerful partners at my table, mm-hmm. you know? So if I go up to someone else and I, you know, 
diminish my value in front of them and my worth mm-hmm. in front of them, why would they want to partner with me? Absolutely. Right? Like you need to stand there in your strength and say like, you know, if you partner with me, you're going to get X, Y, and Z that you yeah. need. <laughs> and I'm going to get, you know, A, B, and C that you have that I need. And mm-hmm. like, that's why we're better together. You're not just, I'm not relying on you to lift me. Mm-hmm. Right? Like I want to lift us both together. But if you don't believe that, if you don't believe in the worth that you're bringing to the table, yeah, mm-hmm. this can be really hard, really impossible even to create those kinds of relationships. So I would start there in your journey is like understanding like that you are worthy, you are valuable Mm -hmm. and like writing down those things. Like this is what I do really well. This is what I'm passionate about. This is where I start to shine. Like Mm -hmm. this is what I'm bringing to the table and then start bringing that to the table. Start within and then continue showing up as that person. Like I said, show up as the person who blank because you are the person who blank. That's the thing. You're not making it up. You are that person. Yep. So you'll show up as that person. All right. I have my other question about like burnout. So we kind of hit on this topic a little bit. Um, but when you were in the deep stretches of burnout, mm-hmm. how did that look? for you? What is it that you noticed about yourself? And then what are you doing now to ensure that you don't go back into that? Zone? Yeah. For me, what I experienced when I would say like burnout, right? It's mm-hmm. it's very much like clinical depression, which mm-hmm. if you think about how your body reacts, right? We're not one entity. I'm not mentally burned out or physically, you know, burned out. Like this is a chemical process that's happening in your body from overwork, from Mm -hmm. stress, which is stress physically, mentally, they're all the same when you're processing Mm -hmm. them. So like when your adrenals start to not fire property, when your serotonin is depleted, Mm -hmm. when you're joy in life goes away like those are all things that contribute to burnout your frontal lobe of your brain just doesn't work properly anymore you're disengaged Mm -hmm. you are distant not just from your work but from everything and your emotions are to kind of rule everything like you're all over the place and you're in this constant state of a fight or flight of mm-hmm. hypervigilance. So I'll notice myself, like I said, disengaged. Like I won't, I won't really want to do my work, whatever mm-hmm. kind of work it is. Mm-hmm. I'll avoid, I'll procrastinate. Mm-hmm. I'll get really scattered and overwhelmed. So everything feels like it needs to take priority all at once. Yeah. I lose that vision that I have. But like deep inside is just this like twisted, tight feeling like in my shoulders, in my gut, in my chest, it's like you can't take a breath, Mm. right? Like you've been running so hard and you're just in this state of panic and you don't know if you can run any farther. Like you just can't catch your breath, even though you're not physically going anywhere. And when I feel like that, I automatically just like say like, stop, like put the brakes down, Mm -hmm. you know, now it is okay, like to quote unquote procrastinate, to go be lazy, to do something that's not doing, right? To mm-hmm. just whether that's zoned out on Netflix or like reading a book or anything that takes me out of that space. And mm-hmm. I also reach out to people around me who support me, friends, my partner. Yes. And I, I said, like, can I brainstorm, mm-hmm. you know, 
what I need to do, like what needs to change and how would I feel supported in making that change? So the last time I felt burned out was like 2020, like right in the early phase of the pandemic, probably that summer. And I was doing all these employee health reviews for COVID return to work. And there were hundreds of them every day. Mm. So tedious and boring. And there was no connection. And I was overwhelmed by this workload mm-hmm. because it wasn't fun. It wasn't engaging to me. And I felt abused in my position as a physician. It made me want to disconnect. So I went to my partner and I'm like, I need this to stop. Like mm-hmm. I bring in a large chunk of our income. <laughs> I can't do that. I can't do it anymore. I, I actually want to start this business to help other doctors who feel like me find their way forward. And this right. is what my vision would look like. This is what I need to do, but it's not going to bring in any money, you know, who knows for like five, 10 years. <laughs> like, <laughs> could you support us if, you know, it came down to it? And he was like, yeah, a hundred percent. Like I'll pay all of our bills, mm-hmm. make this work. And then I got pregnant and I was like, holy crap. Like now we have another <laughs> for him too. He's like, yeah, like I got you. And every day, like I, you know, start to feel that sensation of overwhelm of like, I don't know what I'm mm-hmm. going to do if I can't financially contribute mm-hmm. to this relationship or I don't feel worthwhile or worthy. Then it's stepping back inside myself and saying like, okay, why do you feel like a paycheck is the thing that makes you worthy? Mm. And I talking to my partner and saying, I have these feelings of being, you know, worthless because mm-hmm. I don't contribute a paycheck and this comes from my childhood or private prior relationships. And like, that's why I'm showing up this way. And just being honest about those mm-hmm. things is really important because a burned out candle doesn't magically ignite itself. Yes. When was the last time you had a burned out candle and you were like, okay, oh, look. Light up. Spontaneously igniting. Match another candle mm. and you relight it. Mm-hmm. Or maybe clean the wax off of it first if it's all gunked up. Like you just don't expect it to magically start working again. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing with people who have suffered and like lost their spark, lost their edge. They don't just recover because mm-hmm. you told them to go meditate. Like if I go stare at my candle and just meditate on it, it's not going to light. <laughs> <It's not gonna laughs> you cannot fix something from that level. You have mm-hmm. to fix things in the physical. You have to fix things in your day to day that caused that problem in the first place, that root cause of the dysfunction, mm-hmm. whether that's your working environment, the way you're treated, you know, dealing with your trauma, seeing a therapist, I see a therapist in internal family systems who helps me, you know, talk to my inner child, helps me regulate, like all that stuff is really important if you're going to come back and you're going to shine more brightly. And that doesn't mean I'm going to be protected forever from burning out. Like I could be burnt out again. And I give myself again the permission to take that space and then Mm -hmm. to find a way to reignite. I'm not just going to sit in my mode forever. I think that that's the best thing I can tell people is like, if you feel like you lost it, like just Mm -hmm. don't sit there in your corner alone, hoping it's going to come back because our fear is like, when I see these posts about a physician who committed suicide, like yeah. I lost someone close to me. I didn't have to know you mm-hmm. I didn't know that I've felt very similar to you. Mm-hmm. 
And you, you just need to know there are people who care, who want you to reach out, even if you haven't spoken to them in months or years because you've been super busy. They yeah. will make time. They will understand. They don't want to lose you. Absolutely. There are other physicians in your community, they ache when they see that they've lost you to suicide. Mm-hmm. It's so painful for us, or even lost you from the profession. When I see physicians leaving our profession saying, I don't want to do clinical work anymore. There's no way for me to do that and be happy. Like that hurts me yeah. because I don't want that to happen. I want them to know there's hope and that mm-hmm. there's a place for them to learn how to find the joy in their practice again. And really that, make that candle. meaningful part of life. Absolutely. But you know, that's that's probably the best thing I can say is that don't ever do it alone. Yeah. And that's I love that you are mentioning that there are times when you feel as if you're in a silo, that you're by yourself. No one else understands. No one. Um, I don't want to bother other people with my and so on. But keep in mind, as you mentioned, that there are physicians out there who are in positions to help you because we're all we're never all at the same level at the same time we're not always very happy well put together have the strength can um be the support system we're not always there at the same time however Mm -hmm. there's always always someone that is at that level to help you when you need help and in the reciprocity, because that's just how the world works, you will be there at the level to help someone else when they need help. So we'll just keep in mind when our minds try to tell us that it's just you, no one else will understand, you're a bother, that that is not true. So, you know, I want our colleagues out there, anyone who's listening, anyone who's experiencing burnout, anyone who's in the depths of it, or you are sliding down that slope to keep in mind, your mind will tell you this, but it is not true. Right. So now I have my fun question of the day. Okay. So, <laughs> all righty. So if you weren't a doctor, Dr. Busey, mm-hmm. and you weren't um, putting together a telehealth company, helping other doctors to find resources to live their best life in medicine, and of course, you weren't a surgeon. And let me see what else I heard you say. Say, mom had the CPR books, a nursing, psychiatrist, hmm. runner. <laughs> what would you be? No, I, I love being a mom to my son, but I don't think I would be a full time mom. Like. Congrats to all of you out there doing the mom thing. Full Shout time. out to all the full-time I cannot, moms. I cannot be me. The stay-at-home moms. You yeah. guys are the real MVP. <laughs> Let's just put it out I'll there. I'll probably be a hairdresser, like a hairstylist, right? Because I know I've unloaded a lot of shit on my hairstylist over the years. <laughs> and we have a relationship. Like she's like a therapist or a doctor. And like I also leave feeling amazing and like oh. really good about myself. I don't know anyone leaves the hairstylist being like, well, that was a sucky experience. <laughs> but you probably wouldn't go back to them again. <laughs> you know, I, I love, love hairdresser. I want to be that kind of a hairdresser. like Where you leave and and you do the, the big reveal when they turn around. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. And they like show their picture on Instagram, like, and they tag you, like, yeah. you are the best hairstylist. You restored my self-esteem. Yes. You know? 
that's it. I would want. I love it. You know, I I asked this question to over like two hundred docs, and you're the first that has given me that answer. <laughs> and based on if you think about full circle of how what you how you answered the first question, mm -hmm. and this is how this is what usually happens. This question is usually answered by the first question. What made you go into medicine in the first place? It's the same thing. I want to be able to help my peers. I want them to feel happy. I want them to be able to know. And boom, that's and be able to talk, to communicate. And like you said, that's what you, that's your relationship and relationship to build that relationship with the client. That's what you have built with your stylist, your hairdresser. And uh, that makes sense that, hey, if not, if I weren't doing medicine and, you know, I would be doing the grand reveal, boosting self-esteem, listening, giving my, you know, version of therapy. <laughs> While I'm making you look beautiful. I love it. I love it. Alrighty, I know that there are people who are out there and there are doctors who are listening to this episode and they're wondering, wow, how can I be part of Vital Health? What are some of the things that I would need to do? Like, how do I get to be part of this community? Um, you know, I think some of my services that I would be able to offer to you, or I think I need some of the services because right now I'm drowning, but I want to be able to offer these to my patients. Tell us, how can they get in contact with you? Yeah, it's pretty easy. You can go to our website. It's vitelhealth.com, B-I-T-E-L, health. And you hit join for free. If you're a physician, it's free to join Vital Health. You get access to our network where you can chat with other doctors, kind of learn about their experience um, mm -hmm. and starting a business or even just, you know, have that chance to talk about things that are personal to you, knowing there's only other doctors in your room who are there to lift you up. Mm -hmm. or you can get a link to schedule a 30 minute call with me. You can do that by DMing me, or like I said, still joining for free. You'll get a welcome email, have a link in there. And you know, it's just like being a hairstylist, right? I love talking to other doctors. Like those 30 minute meetings are amazing. They lift me up. I always come away with them from, from them with new ideas about how to help people. Mm -hmm. Um, just hearing the different stories and hearing the challenges that doctors have encountered and even making the decision to go independent and supporting them sometimes for months before they actually like say like, yes, I'm ready to do it, ready to start this practice because it takes that time, like I said, to, to build yourself back up, to mm -hmm. know that you're doing the right thing, to mitigate your risk, to build your FU fund, all those things you gotta do before mm -hmm. you say, I quit. Yeah. And so I'm there through that whole process with people. Um, you can reach out to me anytime. Like I'm pretty easy to find on LinkedIn or at vitalhealth.com. Love it, love it, love it. Thank you so much, Dr. Brittany Busey, vitalhealth.com. Thanks for sharing your wonderful story with us. You know, the story is uplifting. It's a story of being able to find, like you said, grace, finding um, your strength, finding your vision for your life during residency, recognizing what worked for you, and also recognizing that you are unique. You are a person that brings value and the value that you bring to 
the physician community or the value that you as a physician bring to medicine, it's a unique value. And you don't have to do it like everyone else. (laughs) And if you really look at how medicine is going, you'll understand why, because the vision of where we're heading is not where we used to be. So it is definitely um, a little bit different. And um, so I love this way that you're going and getting more cooperative um, agreements and working and building on our strengths to be able to provide better um, care for our patients in that um, regard. I want to also thank our people in the chat. Thank you, Dr. Harvey Castro. Thank you so much, um, Marcia Page. Thank you um, to Chigozi Okorigo. Thank you so much, you guys, for being in the chat and also for participating in this wonderful conversation. Dr. Busey, do you have any last words for our people before we end this? Thanks for being here. And I look forward to meeting all of you virtually. Yes. Love it. Love it. Love it. Alrighty. Now I know some of you guys are like, oh my God, I just came in at the end. That is, I have no fear. This wonderful conversation is available on our Your Caring Docs website. Just go to urcaringdocs.com. You'll see the podcast link. You download this wonderful episode. You'll see our Dr. Busey's beautiful face. So you can't miss what this episode is about, right? If you're a doctor and you're like, I want to jump on the show, I'm like, up. Oh, Come on down. Now, send me an email at drbeckford at yourcarendocs.com to book. Keep in mind, we are booked out a couple months in advance. And now you understand why. You see this wonderful doctor here. You see all the amazing thing that she's doing. Yes, I want to highlight you just like I highlighted her. So do send us a message at drbeckford at yourcarendocs.com and we'll get you the link to register. For all of you guys out there that are doing amazing things, keep on doing it. Thank you so much for stopping by and sharing part of your time with us. I'll see you guys next time. Bye.